0: This is Bob Wells here and welcome to Undercurrent Stories. This is the show where we hear about people's interests and uncover some fascinating stories at the same time. I hope you enjoy today's show. Today's show is the second part of my conversation with Ruben Archer, rock musician, author and artist. And in this episode, we hear all about Ruben's rock music career, right through from Lawtrek, Lionheart and Stampede, as well as his more recent work as a solo artist. But hang on, don't we need some more appropriate music? just a second. We then talk about Rubens' return to the sphere of fine arts with his watercolour painting and we hear how after the publication of his recent autobiography, The Rock and Roller Coaster Ride, this has become the inspiration for a new work, this time fiction, which is to be released late in September.
1: I've just finished another book.
0: (laughs) do you you know what i was going to ask you that you should write you
1: you just finish another one yeah but what happened was um i said to roger um i i actually really like doing writing this i used to like writing for the magazine the problem was i had to have a sub a good sub to put my awful grammar into prose so um as long as i got that I'm okay. And Roger said, well, I'll do that, you know. So I said, well, I'm going to write another one. This was about three weeks ago, but it's going to be a novel. Uh, It's a story, not, not, I can't do another, I can't do, it's another. (laughs) So, but I'm going to do a story about a kid. Um, So the kid sees a red strat in a shop and he gets incensed, like every kid does with with, uh, music. And, um, and it's the story of how he goes right from the age of, uh, seventeen, and he gets a band together. Um, he gets a couple of breaks. It's all a little bit, you know. Uh, you know, they're not they're not very good, but they they get noticed, and so it's the usual story. And does it take place in, in the present day? No, it's in nineteen seventy eight. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, so you've got no mobile phones. You've got no. uh Computers, so see, it is my story, but in somebody else's guise, and yeah. uh, and it's Lawrence, and um, and basically um, he he is Lawrence. Um, yeah. It deviates a little bit from reality,
0: but yeah. um, so Lawrence is your, is your son that you played in Stampede with, isn't yeah, he? yeah, and and does Lawrence know about the story?
1: I just asked him. I'm using a photograph of the front cover of him. To uh, which we've doctored up, and I've told him what it's about, but he didn't know it's about him. But um, but basically, the kid goes on, and they end up getting a deal. Which well, it's cool So you want to be a rock star? Seriously? Question mark. Mm. So it's kind of you want to do this? You you get incensed, but do you actually know what you're doing and where it's (laughs) you know? Because it isn't going to be what you think it is, and it's not going to be easy. Um, and when's, when's the book coming out, Ruben? Well, it's done. Um, yeah. We've It's all edited. Now, it's all illustrated. I've done the illustrations because, Jimmy, <laughs> it, it, this is how you get caught up in this kind of thing. It's like yeah. the detail. It's like I remember in 1978 seeing this guy walking around with a leather-bound filofax. Now, I didn't know it was a filofax, because we didn't yeah. know about them here but he'd yeah. got this in america and, we, and they'd already been out in america for a couple of years uh, and then all of a sudden in 1980 they became the must-have thing everybody that was anybody walked around with a mobile phone and a bloody filefax
0: yeah the, the yuppies
1: yeah, yeah. that's it yeah. so yeah. Um, so he bought himself a filefax jimmy bought himself a filefax at uh airport in la and he used to use it to make these sketches. Everything he yeah. did, he, he couldn't help himself. He, he wanted to go to art school, but he never did. And he, 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 he worked in a packing company, but he ends up in a, mu- working in a music shop. But, um, yeah. he, so there's about 10 pages of illustrations throughout the book, which yeah. are all by sketches by Jimmy of yeah. what went on and the concerts and all the, the crap that went down in LA and stuff like this. But they're not, I, I did them. But they're, they're all made to look like Jimmy did them. And they're all in his leather bound packs and a picture of that. So, um, it's kind of, uh, a lot of good things happen to him. And, yeah. and he becomes really good. And he becomes really well known as a, a guitarist. Um, but everything goes wrong. You know, he gets a major deal. That goes wrong. He plays lead guitar for one of the biggest English icons in rock who lives in LA and wants an English band. So he forms the English band behind this guy and he records an album and they go on tour and they get to England and they get to three venues into the tour at Birmingham Odie and then the guy has a heart attack because he's a coke addict. And, Uh um, uh, and, And so the story goes on. Until, yeah. until at the end. Well, I'm not going to tell you the end because people no. are reading the book. But, <laughs> but um, so, yeah, it, it, it's it's all sorts of things that happen. And yeah. the good thing about it is because we know about the technicalities of the business. You know, when you're talking about someone on stage, we know where the jack plugs go. We know where this goes. We know about who's in charge of this. Who's in charge? So all the technical parts. Are in place because we've been there and done it. Yeah, but yeah. then you've got the uh, that coupled with the the actual storyline yeah. uh, makes it quite uh, interesting.
0: Well, if it's anything like the the current book, uh, I'm really looking forward to when that comes <laughs> out, and I guess you'll you'll be sort of promoting that through your um fe- uh, Facebook and, yeah, and yeah. website and everything.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah it'll yeah, be great. sold off the website because I'm not looking for publishers, yeah. but but it, it the thing about it is, and now we've. You get to the end of the book, and there's going to be another one, which I've already started. It's um, a sequel. So, he, you know, Jimmy is now 21, and yeah. uh, you, don't know what to, yeah. you don't know what he's going to do next. But boy, you know, there's going to be some major things going on and some disaster.
0: Do you have a writing sort of regime, a process? How how do you how do you
1: write? What's your <laughs> way of writing? Start and carry on. <laughs> yeah,
0: just get get, get your bum on your seat and, and type.
1: Yeah, stuff just comes. It's like writing songs. You, don't, you haven't got a clue what
0: you're going to write yeah. about. Do you do you have like a certain time of day that you do it, or um, how does that work?
1: It's been annoying to some people. I mean, it, uh, I got to the point where um, I can't sleep because of this. Um, yeah. The the uh, Well, I broke my um, arm in Gran Canaria about six months ago. And ever since then, I've got muscle problems in the arm and it really hurts. So um, I can't sleep. So I've been ending up with (laughs) the usual bottle of wine till three o'clock in the morning writing. And then, you know, you you probably spend about two or three hours. You sort of binge on it, really. And then don't do anything for a couple of days and then, oh, I've got an idea. And then you, you yeah. do that. So it just, yeah, it's just a process of uh, yeah. if and when. And it's good fun, you know. The, the, the hard thing is, um, which Roger uh, has brought, brought to my attention, is when you, you start writing this and yeah. you're, you write it in a kind of a personal tense you know yeah. he did this and and uh, and and, and you got you got sections where he'll be talking and uh, saying something and then it switches back and then you go into another tense where you say yeah. uh, and then they they did this and they did that where you're not actually talking to the bloke you're in a kind of different different space of time yeah and that can be really confusing. So someone like Roger came along and sort of uh, comes along and and puts it all into one or the other. So it oh, flows. And the other thing was, and I, you, you probably know all this anyway, but the one mistake I made was because I'm going along making this up at, uh, on the spur of the moment. Yeah. Um, and you you'll come up with a guy, say Bill Smith. Yeah. Uh, he does so and so. And then you get four chapters on. And you can't remember his name, you oh, know, right. and he cropped yeah. up and you go, who is that guy? And then this happens all, all the time, you know. Yeah. So yeah. every time you create a character, you need to write on a separate pad his name and what he does so that you can always refer to it. Because otherwise, you spend hours going over what you've done, trying to find out who that guy was. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and, yeah. And
0: I suppose after, after a few glasses of wine, it's it's harder.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 One thing in the book, obviously, that you're very famous for, Ruben, is, is Stampede, um, new wave of British heavy metal in the early 80s. Can you tell us a little bit about how, how the band got together?
1: Yeah. Um, well, the band got together because um, I, I did mention earlier when we lived in Somerset, I'd I got the job as to design the new geology gallery in Bristol Museum and Art Gallery. That was my yeah. job. I moved from London to do that, and yeah. um, we bought this place. And in fact, we bought five houses in about three years and did them up and sold them. And yeah. and eventually moving back to Bristol. And uh, during this period, Lawrence and I had started playing, and we 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 tried out different people, swapped and changed, and got and we got a little band together in in uh, near Shepton Mallet. And it was called Shady Business, awful name. And, um, and that morphed into Thriller. And yeah. then we did the first gig at Lawrence's, first proper gig at Lawrence's school. And he became a bit of a hero. And, and by this time he was really, really good. And it had only been about a year. And anyway, we, we just, we were just sort of so set in our minds of we were going to do this. Yeah. And we ended up with a good band and, and that, We uh, were told by this guy that was managing. If you (laughs) read this later book, you'll see all this. Um, It was, um, excuse me, we got this uh, manager guy and he said, I'm going to get you a a tour and uh, try and get you a record deal. And um, we ended up getting offered the tour with Saxon just before they broke it. And it was about 20 dates. We did that. And I changed the name of the band to Lautrec, as in Toulouse-Lautrec. And um, we just became established, and we got write-ups in Sounds and Kerrang and things like that. And um, we got a, a deal, and they re- released a single, called which we'd, on the tour, I realised our music wasn't quite right for the punters. They wanted something harder. And, yeah. um, the Saxon had done Wheels of Steel. So we went into the studio in Shepparton, Shepparton Studios, and we recorded a song called Mean Gasoline. And on yeah. the piece, I was, uh, shoot out the lights. And, um, it was very much in the Wheels of Steel vein, but not sounding like them. And, um, that single, incidentally, now, uh, two or three years ago, I was told it, it was uh, being auctioned on the, uh, in the business for about 600 quid. Oh, because really? it was, very, it's the, it's now reputed to be the rarest single in the new wave of British heavy metal movement. Oh, wow. Now, if you want one, it will cost you two and a half grand. Uh, <sighs> it was a very limited run. And, um, so, and it's all in the heavy metal encyclopedias and all that stuff. But anyway, yeah. um, we, and Lautrec kind of soldiered on, but we couldn't get a proper deal. And, uh, and we didn't have the right management. And I was told by the PR that worked for Saxon that bleckner Poxen, who managed them, yeah. um, they'd got a, a new project and they might want a singer. So, it, But they couldn't tell me at the time. So it, yeah. so it, it went on for a couple of weeks, and by this time I was staying down in London all the time, trying to get deals and things together. And um, and it turned out that the Ron Blackner and Dave Paxson had signed Dennis Stratton because uh, he'd got the sack from Maiden, and they'd put a band round him, or he'd put a band round. And they'd had a singer that did the Marquee, uh, yeah. called Jess Cox, and they didn't like him, and uh, they were looking for a new singer. So did I want to go for it, so I said, uh-huh. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll go. So I went for the audition yeah. and um, I got the job, yeah. And that I had to tell Lawrence, and I, I wasn't doing the track anymore, which was all a bit sad. But, yeah. So he soldiered on with it, but it didn't go anywhere. And uh, I joined this thing, and we rehearsed and recorded, did some videos. And uh, in fact, Dave Foxen, um, one of the managers, is now one of my best friends. He's a is an artist, lives very close hit by. He's a world famous watercolor artist, and he got me back into it. But yes. um, anyway, it got to a point where their management said, um, You haven't got any songs. And I said, Well, that's because basically Dennis, bless him, plays riffs, which are basically yes. like Iron Maiden. And I mean, they're not songs. I said, Well, we need some structured songs. So they said, yeah. "Well, you do it. You get on it." I said, "Well, it's not my band." <laughs> and so, "Well, you you write songs. Get on with it." So, oh yeah. God, you know, here we go." So, mm-hmm. I said to Dennis one day, "Can't you do something like Russ Ballard did for Rainbow? You know, sort of since you've been going da da da, da 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 da." Yeah. You know, so the vocals can go in between the the, the chord pattern, and it's yeah. not just one continuous rip. So he went away and came back on the Monday with this arrangement and it was I called it Dangerous Games and we we recorded it and it was it was it was really, really good. And yeah. they loved it and um, we went and did more demos for I think it was EMI but it didn't go anywhere. And yeah. it was becoming more and more we did the tour on our own all yeah. over England, and then we got the White Snake Tour. We supported White Snake, and that went down really, really well. And Lionheart was known as the new wave of British heavy metal supergroup. But I was getting more and more embarrassed and sort of kind of troubled with the fact that I, I although he didn't really make it known, I'm sure Dennis was basically pretty pissed off with the fact that I was the front man and I was also writing the, the songs and um, yeah, and it just felt all wrong and I didn't actually like what we were, we were playing a lot of their previous stuff that they'd put together before I got in there and I didn't like any of it the whole oh. thing just wasn't right and I left yeah. and yeah. Um, I was sitting in a sounds called up and said we want to speak to you and Lawrence what, what's going on now you've left track. you've joined uh, and what are you gonna do? So I had to do this interview and it, I can't remember where it was in, in Camden or somewhere and um, the journalist said, well, what are you gonna do now then? And as usual like you said <laughs> you just take the opportunity and you're not gonna you're not gonna sort of like fall down so yeah. and, and, and lie there. So I, I just said, well we've got a new band. Yes yeah. new band. So, yeah, yeah, we're rehearsing. It's all lies. And yeah. uh, she said, What's it called? And, oh, before that, I had left Lionheart. And on the last night of the gig at the Marquee, a guy came up to me and said, Jimmy Bain, who used to oh, be yeah. with Dio, yeah. he's got a band called Wild Horses and he wants to reform it. Can you go and talk to him? So I went over to the bar and I'm, Talk to Jimmy and he lived in Twickenham and, yeah. uh, and it, cut a long story short, I went round his house. We started sitting down and he said, right, I, need, I but he was out of it all the time, totally out was of it. it. Yeah. And um, so I said, well, we haven't got a guitarist because Robert had left. So had, um, so had, um, I can't remember the other. Was it John Lockton? Name. Oh, John, John was in it. It was John that got yeah. me introduced to him. Because um, I, I
0: saw wild, yeah. Because I, I saw wild horses. I think it was about seventy-eight and seventy-nine when um, Neil Carter was with them and Clive Edwards. Was yeah, that
1: that was the original lineup. Yeah, but yeah. they they all fell out when Robbo left. Neil yeah. N- N- Nelly went off and played y- with UFO, and yeah. uh, and uh, I don't know what um what's his name Clive did because I know uh, Clive really well. Um, but uh, anyway, all Jimmy had was John Lockton, and we were yeah. using. Phil Linet's garden studio, his concert, to, to, to write songs. So yeah. we'd go around to Phil's every every day and just use the studio. And um, so I said, well, we, we need another guitar player and a drummer. So when I was falling out with Lionheart, I knew that Dennis didn't like Frank Noon's drumming. Um, yeah. And Frank was. Like me, he was un- uneasy about everything. And I said to him, Look, I've got this thing going with Wild with Jimmy Bain. We need a drummer and I'm going to get Lawrence in on guitar. I was Jimmy's on bass, so that's cool. So, um, so that's what happened. I got Lauren in, Lawrence in and yeah. the new Wild Horses were formed and yeah. we, we were managed by Lizzie's management, Morrison O'Donnell. And, um, but the problem was, Jimmy was so, I don't want to say anything horrible about him because I liked him, but yeah. he was so bad on God knows what. I mean, seriously, mm. that yeah. we couldn't really get anything done. We did a residency at the Marquee four nights, and yeah. every night Phil Line got up and did the encore with us, and we ran that place. But recording-wise, nobody had touched Jimmy, and we couldn't get yeah. a deal. And so yeah. I'd finally left. And that's when this yeah. journalist said, well, you've been in three bands now. What are you going to do? And then yeah. and we were sitting there and I said, well, we've we got a new band. So, well, what is it? What's it called? So yeah. thinking, what the hell am I going to call it? <laughs> and, then, and I'm sitting there thinking, Wild Horses, what do Wild Horses do? Stampede. It's called uh, Stampede.
0: Yeah. yeah, very good. And
1: that's she a- said, oh, right, and then wrote all this up. And the next thing is yeah. it's all in the, it's all in, in, in the press. Uh, new Van coming, Stampede. And uh, I thought, well, I've got to get a decent manager because we aren't going to go anywhere. Um, yeah. And I was talking to Chris Tangarides, um and I went over to uh, Maida Vale where he was producing somebody. And uh, he said, well, I know this guy he used to work for Don Arden. And Don's just sold Jet Records. And yeah. so now they're. Don, all,
0: that's Don Arden of Sharon Osborne, fame. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah. big.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he'd got ELO and he'd got um, Magnum, I think he had. And anyway, he'd sold it all. So these yeah. guys were looking for jobs that, that worked for him. And one of them was a guy called Ronnie Fowler, who was kind of Don's right hand man. And so so um, Chris Tangarini said going, here's his phone number, call him up he's looking for a band, he's going to go out on his own so I called Ronnie up and uh, he'd got a big house up in Weybridge and a um, real old school after daily manager yeah. and yeah. Uh, I liked him and I got on well with him and we'd got some demos done um, yeah. that Lawrence and I had done and I gave it to him and he really liked them so he said it took about two weeks, but he said, uh, right. He said, uh, if you want, I'll manage you. we we'll draw up some sort of contract. I've got a music publish, I've got a publishing business and we'll, so I was still technically living in Bristol and moved, yeah. but we used to use this studio in a square in Bristol called Cave. It was in a, in a basement of a, a Georgian house and we loved it. And the two guys were just that ran it were fantastic. And they only had an eight track. But we, we'd gone in there and done demos with the track. And um, I went down and saw them. And they said, well, we just got a 24 track. So it's a lot easier now, less yeah. bouncing down. And So I said, um, well, I've got to record four tr- four or five tracks to give to Polydor because they're interested. So yeah. we booked the studio for a week. And we re- we'd already rehearsed these songs. We used to get everything absolutely, absolutely as it was going to go down. No, no sitting in the studio writing, you know. All, and we went in there and we did the f- five tracks, and um, Ronnie took them off to the Polydor, and we got signed, major deal. Major. Did that
0: include? Did that include Days of Wine and Roses?
1: Yeah, that was the Days of Wine and Roses EP. I, yeah, well, I I bought the. Um
0: the live bootleg album in about would it be nineteen eighty two or three? I guess I, um,
1: that was recorded at Reading and Milton Hall in eighty two. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's it. And, and I got that, and and I'd heard Wine and Roses, Days of Wine and Roses on um, on the on the radio, and that, I think that was the strength of what made me buy the album. It's a great <laughs> album.
1: <laughs> well, well, yeah, well, well, those tracks, yeah, uh, that we recorded in Cave Polydor just took them and put them on that EP, Days of Wine and Roses, and shoved it out as it was. And um, and then they said, right, we, we need an album, but we want to get something done really quickly, because if you think about it, at that time, heavy rock was in going through a bit of a bad time. Uh, yeah. All these major labels have got these bands, but there was uh, New Wave, there, Punk had... Sort of gone, but new wave was there. But there was this new romantic thing coming in. That's right. Yeah, and yeah. and they would just drop you like that to go on. So they were really anxious to get something out. And they said, We're going to record your Reading Festival set and your Milton Hall set. And we're going to put that out as a live album and call it a bootleg. And so they got the Rolling Stones uh, mobile and they recorded both the, the sets. And, um, we would just that live album, first album. That's ridiculous, <laughs> awful. That's,
0: that's unusual, isn't it? <laughs> but,
1: yeah. So they put yeah. it out and it, it, it started to sell and, yeah. um, it didn't do anything fantastic. But, um, the problem with it was then they said, right, now you've got to do a studio album, which was the Hurricane Town. Yeah. The problem with that was when we recorded that those festivals, the energy level was so high, yeah. it comes over. I mean, everybody oh, no, that's ever, yeah. ever since said that is the best thing we ever did. I mean, and there was a reason for that. <laughs> but, um, well, <laughs> we got this new drummer yeah. uh, who we nicknamed Shirley Temple. He's a lovely guy. He's out. Yeah. On, he lives out in the Middle East now, still plays. He, he'd never played to a big, um, audience we got him because frank noon left because i'd gone through this time in hospital and um i came out of hospital uh on crutches and i I have to say i have to say
0: ruben there's there's one or two times more than one or two times in the book where you talk about breaking various bones and things
1: yeah i've done (laughs) i think it's 15 different breaks up to now it's crazy i seem to be prone to it but um, <laughs> I said the specialist I said do you think there's something wrong with my bones uh, they're yeah. weak or something I keep breaking them he said no you just do stupid things so, but um, yeah so Eddie we get up on stage and we timed it exactly to 50 minutes uh, clock yeah. on the stage that's it you've got to do that and Eddie we had a solid two weeks rehearsal everything was perfect he gets up on this massive rise and we had the who's back line we had John in yeah. this was sort of baseline. Martin, yeah. Lawrence had four Marshall stack. I mean, it was just incredible. And I had gone out on the stage with crutches and got to the mic stand, chucked the crutch away to the, And, uh, we just bang went straight into it. And it, the first number, it, it, it's quite a, a fast number, but Eddie was so incensed that seeing 30,000 people out front and yeah. he'd been doing a bit of, uh, speed I think because he did and right. it w- we just went into the whole set at breakneck speed and that's how it went all the way through and that's how the that's why the energy <laughs> like, is there
0: yeah it comes across as, as a, a very powerful energetic album that, that yeah album. I, I, it's great
1: Yeah. but the sickening thing about that album is that the, the figures I got from Polydor yeah. weren't that good and um, you know we the, the deal fizzled out in the end, but since I've been over playing in Europe and um, we did Belgium and we did uh, Holland and France and stuff, I've never signed so many of those white uh, albums.
0: Oh, really? I've never. And, and,
1: and, this, and this
0: is playing in the la- within the last few years? Yeah. It? The I've no,
1: right. okay. no idea that that record got so far and there's people yeah. in America... Um, oh really oh I, I tell you there was something went on there that we don't know about because yeah. um, that, that album's everywhere it's, that's uh, amazing isn't it yeah. yeah
0: the original Stampede ceased to exist soon after that I guess and and then you you fast forward now to was it 2013 the next album by Stampede was
1: yeah well yeah, Stampede all the time it was two years uh, 82 yeah. 83 into 84 I think uh, yeah. and we toured with Gary Moore and we did two tours with him, uh, but Hurricane Town didn't like the sales figures up much, or, or so we were told. And um but it got a lot of press and it got re- reviews, but it just wasn't as powerful as that first album. And yeah. uh, and then we never had an A and R guy at Polydor. We had a we had to make do with the label manager because they, they they didn't have one. And then during a stint there, they got one called John Briley, and he came in but like all A&R guys, they've got a band they want to bring in and yeah. he got heavy petting and oh, yeah, yeah. he got our managers to manage them and it was pretty obvious that all the money was going, he was directing all the energy and money into this new project so we just got left and I I realised that and I just said well, I've had it, I, I don't want to do this anymore and um. And we did a, we did one more gig at um, the last, we decided we were going to call it a day. And we, we did a gig in the Red Lion in Brentford, right opposite from where I broke my hip and with Bruce. And um, I thought it'd just be a low key thing. That would be that, draw a line under it. And we set up, we didn't have any gear. So we borrowed Phil Line that took us up and we borrowed all Lizzie's gear. And and that was that set up did a sound check, went home, um, and then came back at 8 o'clock, and um, I thought, well, not going to be anybody here. Went to get in the front door, couldn't, it was locked. Oh, oh God, well, that's it, nobody's here. So we went round the back and came in through the kitchens, and then came out behind the stage, and I couldn't believe it. The whole place was completely rammed. Mm -hmm. They had to shut the doors to stop people coming in. Uh, yeah. the fire eggs and we yeah. played our last gig to a full house oh, and, right. and yeah. we I think Bernie Tolman uh, Paul Raymond and various people, Gary Barnes got up and did stuff with us and that was that yeah. and yeah. i went into i started a business and um and that's how it went for the next 18 years yeah.
0: And that, and that business was in exhibition furniture? Well,
1: it started off doing sign writing, which was the yeah. only thing I could do to sell yeah. to shops. And I did that for about a year, two years. Yeah. And then somebody said, oh, well, can you design us some business cards like the sign you've just done? So I did that, and then it just grew. And there was one bet- – I dropped flyers off all over the place to – putting through letterboxes of shops and offices and that. And I put one through a, uh, an Art Deco building, which used to be DER television rentals in Twickenham. And yeah. um, it was now, it looked like it was being done up. So I stuck one through there thinking they'll want some signs. And I got yeah. a call and I went into the office and they was a snobby lot. And it was a furniture company called Kesterport. And yeah. they um, do signs for us. So I did the yeah. signs, and then I did some more work, and then they said, um, "I said, if you want any graphics done, and I do all that as well." So they yeah. said, "Well, yeah, we want some adverts for the local informer, big double-page spreads of drawings of furniture." And so I did that, and yeah. then it, it got to a point where they said, um, "We're deciding to. What else have you done?" So I said, "Well, I trained as an exhibition designer, uh, but I only stuck it." In but they said, "Well, we're going to have a stand at the NEC. We're going to try it, and it was huge. So yeah. I designed it, and we built it, and um, I ended up working for these people right until I retired from it all a year ago. And they're yeah. still friends. They're they're they're, they're absolute friends. So yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and from that, um, all the other furniture companies saw what was going on with them, and it got to the point about ten years ago where I for, uh, for the next five years I was the biggest contractor at the NEC furniture show. I had every single major player in the yeah. in the in the UK furniture trade, which is it's all based in Long Eaton, and uh, wow. I had Wade yeah. Furniture, Welbeck, Jurest, uh, yeah. all the big players,
0: all the big names. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and yeah. we yeah. we. It just went crazy, yeah. and um, but I shot myself in the foot because when when it became obvious that they could buy all their their furniture from uh, China, yeah, and they started importing stuff instead of making it, uh, and then with that came the publicity and the you know these Chinese people would even send teams of people over to build their stands, oh, and right. because I just got so far into the furniture business instead of doing other people's work, yeah. it, it it just kind of imploded. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it was still good, but it it, it was never going to be like uh, it was. Yeah. And uh, by that time anyway, I was getting... And it, also what had happened was uh, Rock Candy had put out, re, re-released Hurricane Town with a, a, a really nice booklet explaining yeah. it and um so i called up everybody and said you fancy doing some gigs and the upshot of that was they did and yeah. we got back together again
0: yeah and you recorded it what was the the last album
1: sudden impulse yeah that, that was yeah. the uh but the, yeah. the the problem was uh i i i have a barbecue every year and uh loads of people come and birthday thing and um on this one particular occasion, um, a guy I know here who I played with because I had a blues band and he used to stand in and, and he said, I'm really, I really love this stuff. He said, and I said, Well, I could do with another voice in the band. Yeah. And, because um, Lawrence at the time didn't sing, um, no. nobody did. And, um, I, 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 and I'd always quite like the twin guitar thing.
0: Yeah. Lawrence. I think it, yeah, it was his. Like Thin Lizzy and Wild Horses and Wishbone Ash, for example, they, they, they get that extra bit of colour, I think,
1: with two guitars. Yeah, the problem is, though, Lawrence, his style of playing yeah. was such that it wasn't an ego thing. He no. just said, I don't want to play with another player on stage because when I play, yeah. the light and shade that I create um, is right for the, the track, but I don't want another another guitar dirtying up the stuff it's not oh, so bad yeah. with it's not so bad with keyboards because that no. you can work with but yeah. so when well, i got chris in and um and of course we're now two guitars We've got the extra vocals but lawrence didn't like it at all so um that was that
0: so how many albums have you have you had which are personal sin
1: i've done um two I did the first, first, which is called personal sin. The second one was uh, petrol head, and I did another one, which we didn't do any hard copies of. It's just purely download, uh, which is called um, uh, God. What's it called? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, we we called the project the brand. Yeah. Uh, and oh, I've uh, seen
0: that. Yeah, on Spotify. I've seen. Yeah. That. Uh,
1: and yeah. to me, it's one of the best
0: things. We've done. Um, yeah, and no, I've listened. I've listened to all of all of those three. Have you got any um any more recording coming up at all?
1: Yeah, I was in the. I'd started one with uh, Russ Waring, the guitarist that uh, I did the last thing with, and in his studio. Uh, I love his playing. He's he, he, just a brilliant. He's just. He's not a heavy rock player, but he's it, got. It's hard rock, bluesy player, with a yeah. lot of. um he's just very very talented and I loved it but he's also a great producer and he's got a great studio so we started before this uh, thing happened Um, and we'd written I'd written uh, about five or six numbers and we just got sketches down so we wouldn't forget them and then um, we really started working on it and then this hit so we couldn't do any more and then about a week or so, two weeks ago, he called me up, said, you fancy coming in? So I went in, and we actually, because I'd worked on them a bit more and got the, vocal, got the lyrics right and everything, and we banged a couple of tracks down, and they sounded really good. Uh, a lot of work to do, but um, we, we've got enough for an album, and um, I think this time we will get hard copies, because people just keep asking for stuff all the time. Yeah. Uh, and it's great this download thing, but um, I I just don't know. I think people like to have something, you know?
0: they, they I, Yeah, I, they do, don't they? And and I must admit, I I used to like to have vinyl because you had something, and you take it to a party, and you get a little bit of a scratch on, and every time you played it afterwards, you say, "Oh yeah, that scratch was when so and so had too much to drink and it <laughs> fell over." The Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You actually have something, and and I think the problem with with download is is that. You, stick it, you put Spotify on you, you put an album on you, you play a track, yeah, that's good. next one. I'll fast forward it to the next one, whereas years ago, I remember spending hard-earned pocket money on an album, and I had to like all the tracks, you know, so I, I used to get into it and sit there listening to it, and yeah and you, would, you you'd get to, you'd get to appreciate it, so some of David Bowie was a good example of, of some of his stuff was instantly likable and other stuff it took a while to get into, but then you really got into it, I mm. yeah, and um, I think that's the difference.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, and the, the thing about it is, you know, with a um, an L- Albert, uh, an LP, um, you've got the presentation and you'd open yeah. it. You know, the graphics on it are good and everything. Yeah. It, you, it, it's a real statement. Whereas yeah. now, download something and you know, you've got nothing. Have you you've just got to,
0: no? Just, and I guess with your art background, you you do all the um, graphics for your albums. Yeah, we do, do it really? my, yeah.
1: I'm lucky with my other son, Frankie. He's, um, he's, he's brilliant at doing stuff. So I, I, I can't do anything on a computer. I'm useless, as you know. And um, I just sketch it out. Yeah. And he, he'll take it and do it with all his, uh, yeah. you know, computer aids and whatever. And he, he comes up with it and does a great job.
0: One other thing I saw, Ruben, was that um, you're now getting back in, into your – or your, 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 on your website, you're certainly doing a lot more painting again.
1: Yeah, well, that was because I found out that Dave Poxon, one half of the Saxon management, yeah. he he lives just down the road from me, beautiful country house. Because um, we live, I live right on the outskirts of Wolverhampton, on the Rock, a technical rock. So yes. I can sit in my front r- my my living room look out and see the lights. It looks like LA, but it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> <laughs> you know, yeah, it looks fantastic we're, at night, but yeah. we're, we're lucky enough to be right on the edge of um, the, the countryside, literally a minute's yeah. walk. And he lives about a mile away. And I went over to see him. And um, there he is. He's built, he's got this purpose built studio. And he, Cause he was at art school and he would already yeah. done it all before he got into yeah. music. And um, yeah. he started again. And he's, he's become, in a matter of about 10 years, he's become world famous. I mean, he's yeah. he's incredible. And yeah. he got, I, I t- he knew what I did because I used yeah. to do stuff for Lionheart. And he started showing me stuff about watercolours and things like that. And I thought, okay. So I started painting cars. And um, I got a few paintings together and then um, I thought, I'm going to have an exhibition. So I booked a stand at the NEC Classic Car Show, and and some people that built my exhibition stands built me a little stand completely free, and it yeah. looked fantastic. And I, I'd got together. I gave myself a, a time limit, and a, I'm going to get 40 paintings ready, all framed. And yeah. they were all on this stand. And yeah. people came along, bought them, And then I got commissions. Can you do my classic car? So so it went on. And uh, then I thought, well, I can't keep on doing cars uh, as much as I like it. Um, I'm going to do one on bikes because bikes are big up here in the Midlands. So I painted, did the same. I did 30 or 40 bikes. And there's a little art shop in Wolverhampton. It's a gallery. And they staged a show for me, which did really well. And then – I did one on the bikes, and that did really well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm 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 doing a commission now for somebody. Yeah, it's it's um it's it's great. If listeners
0: want to find out more about your work and and uh, how to get these paintings, I guess that you've got them for sale as well, have you?
1: Yeah, there's a website. It's called um it's called Ruben Archer Auto Art. Yeah. Um, I, I think if you just go to Ruben Archer anyway on google all these have come up anyway but the actual it's autoart.com ruben Archer autoart.com um, yeah. all the paintings are on, well a lot of the early ones are on there with portfolios yeah. showing and then there's a facebook page as well we'll put
0: all the details on the show note that will then take them to your site that's brilliant okay. yeah this has been a great conversation ruben is there anything else that um, you'd like to tell listeners before we wrap up
1: yeah can you buy my book please <laughs> no no i'm joking um jokes aside
0: i can thoroughly recommend that book and like i said earlier in the show even if you you know you you like rock music but if, if you just want a little bit more about growing up in the 50s and 60s and 70s etc i think it's a it's a great great story to tell and um
1: thoroughly enjoyable i was worried at, at the end when it was done and and made and you know printed and i just thought and people you know a rock and roller life are people going to think this is all about rock? Because what I, I never wanted to, you know, I read a lot of biographies, of yeah. a, a lot of rock music people, and they all tend to be, oh, how many girls did this, and how much yeah. booze and, that, and drugs. I didn't want it to be like that. Um, so I'd, I, I, I was worried that people would be expecting it to be like that, and it's not. Um, it's, it's just a boy growing up. And morphing into Um, this—that's all it is. Um, But um, yeah, you know.
0: Well, Ruben, thanks very, thanks very much for being a great guest. Oh, could I just
1: say something? Oh, of course, yeah. I would like to thank everybody who bought the book because I, when I had the first batch printed up, I really didn't think—I thought I was going to get left with them all in boxes—and I just couldn't believe it because within. Within a week, I've sold that batch out and yeah. we we're on the second batch. You know, that's it's never exactly. going to be a bestseller or anything like that, but because it's only sold, but I just want to thank everybody that did buy it because everything they virtually everybody that's bought one has put some comment saying how much they enjoyed it, like you have. And to me, if, if it only sold three, that was worthwhile. Um, yeah. I, I just can't thank you all enough. So, uh, there you go. Yeah. And and thank thank you for the, the opportunity to do this. No, it's been a great conversation. Thanks so much, Ruben.
0: My thanks go to today's guest, Ruben Archer, in part two of our conversation. If you haven't done so already, feel free to check out the previous episode where we hear about his life leading up to his rock music career. I hope like me you found the conversation fascinating and i think Ruben's ability to follow his talents and passions despite challenges is a source of inspiration for us all you have been listening to undercurrent stories i hope you enjoyed this episode please feel free to share the show link to your friends and family and if you have 60 seconds i will be most grateful if you would please rate and review to hear more episodes please subscribe to the show and visit undercurrentstories.com. If you leave your email in the link, we will notify you as soon as new episodes are released. Also, check out our social media links, details of which can be found on the show notes. Until next time, this is Bob Wells wishing you all the very best.